Welcome, welcome your backup plan tribe to another wonderful episode of this week is trying to fit in as a drug dealer. We have a very, very special guest today from Texas. If you are new here, please like, share, and subscribe down here in the corner. Press that like button so that we can continually do more and that you will have them in your stream. I'm so I'm so excited for today's show. It's going to be so awesome. Uh, my name is Tina Ginn. If you are new to our channel, I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye, uh, a financial expert, and an app developer of Your Backup Plan app. And I'm located here in gorgeous Vancouver, BC today. So welcome, welcome to our show. If uh, I post uh, every week uh, articles, uh, special news, people in the news, perhaps uh, special articles that come up with uh, special traumas. And of course, our show is Talking Taboo. So we always want to talk somehow about those taboo subjects, just like today. Absolutely a taboo subject. We avoid it and we talk about it, but we really truly don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So I'm very excited to be able to talk to uh, Cassie Holland today from Texas. Um, I want to explain a little bit about your backup plan app because that's what our show is all about. When you've experienced traumas, when you've experienced tragedies and you are going to have to manage those storms that come into your life, your backup plan will put them all in one place so that you or a guest user can get access to them when you need them the most. There's nothing like having an emergency kit or keys to your parents' garage or shed at the back or knowing where someone's documents are in case of some unexplainable circumstance. Um, it's wonderful to be able to have it done when you've lost your passport, when you're traveling abroad. It's wonderful if you have a five minute evacuation notice, which happens very, very often, unbelievable in these hot summer weathers that we are getting these days. Uh, I've been in a five-minute evacuation, and you are literally running around the house trying to figure out what you're going to grab. Um, so we want to be better prepared, and we want to know, um, in case we don't have a home after, that we have photos, we have receipts, or we have our important documents that we can't afford to lose. So that's what we're all about. We take that painful aftermath out of that tragedy. So prepare for the unexpected because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So welcome everyone. Welcome to your backup plan tribe. I have a very special guest today. And before I forget, um, I have a very special in order of our watchers. For our listeners today, it is United States, Canada, German, Germany and Ireland that are really at the top of our shows. So meine deutsche Freunde sind unserem Podcast willkommen. Wenn Sie Kommentare haben, können Sie gern Fragen stellen. Also danke für deine Freundschaft. So thank you so very, very much, my German listeners. And I will continue to work on my Irish accent for all those Irish listeners also. So thank you everyone for coming on our show. Please like, share, and subscribe to it. And I'm sure you're going to find this one, like all the rest of our shows, very interesting, very humorous, and I'm excited to bring on Cassie. So here we go. There she is. Hi. There's Cassie Holland. She is a podcaster from Texas, a massage therapist a life coach and a sobriety coach. Wow, those are a lot of awesome things, Cassie. And I'm excited to hear all about your journey. What happened? Where did it all start for you? Um, it started in high school. 
I moved, I grew up, I lived in West Texas when I was a little, and um, we moved to New Mexico. And it was a culture shock for me because I was the only kid in class that had bows in her hair and I had a funny accent and the kids made fun of me. And that was in the fourth grade. And it never really got better. Like I just never really fit in. So when I was in high school, people try to fit in in really terrible ways. That's one of them. So that's where it started. Now, I didn't get deep into it until about six months after I graduated. But that's where it started. And what was the first experience like? What did, did someone come up to you and? So I was actually in, I was in a class and the building that we were in had some stairs that went up to kind of little storage area on top and there was some a couple of people in that class that kept going up there and coming back down it's like what are you guys doing and they're like oh come on come up here come check this out and i was like oh, okay okay cool and uh so i did and there was a line on the table and i had never never even considered that right and all these people are like, oh it's fun you'll love it just try it just try it just try it just try it so i did and i didn't sleep for two days and I freaked out <gasps> I, because I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. So I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't stop. <laughs> I, I did it. And then for some reason, when I graduated, I had a friend that was like, hey, you ever smoked this? And I was like, no. They were like, oh it's a different experience. You should try. Let me tell you, it was a totally different experience and I liked it. And that was really bad. <laughs> uh Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really bad. So, um, before I get into what did that, you... I want to, I'm sorry. What did you like about it? What it at made, the moment, what it made me feel bulletproof. It made me feel like I could handle it all. It didn't matter what it was, how hard I had to run, how high I had to jump, how much I had to, it didn't matter. I could handle it, whatever it was. And so I was like, oh, I really like this. <laughs> yeah, that inner strength that it's giving you. Mm -hmm. That's a false euphoria. Yeah. And I was all for it. So one of the things that I like to mentioned to people in my, my coaching sessions is that it doesn't matter who you are. You know, girls don't care who your dad is or what your mom does or how much money you have or how much you don't have or how you grew up, how you were raised. They don't care. They're not white. Not at all. So or what color you are or how old you no. are or it doesn't matter. They don't care. So you're just people, inventory, I guess. Because, you know, there's a lot of taboo around drug addiction and that it's more focused around the, the poverty population and low income and people of color. And that's really, really wrong because some of the biggest drug addicts I've ever met were white attorneys <laughs> you know, oh. and over 40. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So, you know, for people to automatically assume that is very unfair. And it's, it's a detriment to recovery for a lot of people. Well, that's for sure. I, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it must be because even just trying to eat well is hard enough for me. So <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. want to think that you're addicted to something and that you're struggling with this with this strength, uh, you know, to stop yeah. doing something. Um, so where did that take you from using it to dealing it? Um, I moved out of my house on my 18th birthday because, uh, you know, I had met somebody and everything 
everything was going to be great. And this is when I moved out of my house on my 18th birthday. And within three weeks, I was full fledged into drug dealing. From him that, that you moved out with or. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Uh, so one of the things that happened that was a, a, a big turning point for me was that a couple of people that I was associated with at the time had taken it upon themselves to borrow a lot of money from some very unsavory people. Okay. So when they did that, they borrowed the money, they got the money and they disappeared. Oh yeah. So about six months later, I was at the gas station where I grew up and I was taken by those people because they knew I was associated with those people. Oh no. Yeah. So I spent. So how did that go down? You were just at, in the store or getting gas I or. I haven't even got in the store yet. And I got stopped in the parking lot at gunpoint and put into another car. And covered up or just tied up? No, they didn't even tie me up. They just set me in the back seat. I was so <laughs> terrified. They didn't have to tie me up. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I had no idea. So no where'd idea. they take yeah. you to the big boss? They, they took me about 40 miles south. And there was a gentleman there that pretty much gave me two options. He said, you can either work off their debt or you can run and we can find you and you won't like the outcome. So I did. That's what I did. I sold drugs for them to recover that debt. For how long? Two months, almost. Before. And how did that? How did that go down? You just were given a whole bunch of new clients or something. Mm -hmm. They would literally drive me around, and you know they would take me where I needed to go or where they needed me to go, and. I was basically at their beck and call. In the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day. Wow. And so were you given a place to, to put your head? Oh, you disappeared. Kind of. Um, I, I, can you see me now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're back. Is that better? Yeah. Perfect. So um, I was actually in the middle of one of those days, and my dad had been looking for me. And the the um, the guys that he worked with had been looking for me. And every day they would they had a route, and they would all take their specific route, and they would all look for signs or anything that was going on and I was in front of an apartment complex one afternoon and my dad pulled up next to me and I freaked out because they had told me if you tell anybody we'll go after them too so I tried to run and he ran me up into somebody's yard and oh, no. called my mom and called the judge and they saved my life that day because they took me, they hid me, they stashed my car, they got me out of that situation. And then it wasn't long after that, that I ended up in treatment. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Because not only were you dealing, but you're also addicted as well. Were you addicted to many different things or? When I went into treatment, I had seven different drugs in my system. Holy moly. I was like a walking party. The lady at the oh. rehab center told me, this is the only place you can take a drug test and fail and still stay. <laughs> still stay. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I got, out of, I got out of treatment the day before my 21st birthday. And I will be clean 15 years this year. Awesome. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's a hard, hard road. It really is. You know, and what did you struggle with trying to get rid of all of that? 
I don't think it was as much of a struggle for me to get rid of it because I was so tired. I told my mom, I said, I would rather die than live like this one more day. Yeah. I was mentally, physically, spiritually exhausted. Because you lived in fear? Mm -hmm. Because I was always scared. I was, always, I was, you know, nutritionally in a slump, to say the least. Um, when I went to treatment, I'm 5'6". And, you know, 130 pounds is a pretty, pretty normal weight for a person my age. When I went into rehab, I weighed 98 pounds. Holy. So you really weren't eating and you were just doing drugs. Mm -hmm. Yep. I gained 42 pounds in 30 days in treatment. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So for the first time in my life, I was excited because I had put on some weight. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. And everyone else is trying to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what do you think, do you still worry about this kind of group finding you now, even though it's been so long? Or is there a time span where you were worried? Um, I think for a while I was worried. Um, but I had to get to a place where I wasn't scared all the time. And I wasn't constantly looking over my shoulder and I wasn't, um, I, I actually, in the process of my dealing and doing, I made a friend and his dad, when I went to, when I, when my parents found me, that guy was still looking for me. And his dad knew that man and went to him and paid off the rest of my debt. Well, not my debt, but paid off the rest of the that, debt. Yeah. And so after that, I stopped being as scared. And mind you, the man that paid off the rest of my debt was one of the biggest drug dealers in the state. Oh, goodness. For some reason, his kids, they told him, they said it. If they find her, they're going to kill her. And for some reason, that pulled at his heartstrings, and he paid off my debt, and he is no longer a drug dealer. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And I'm still in contact with him. Oh, isn't that sweet? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful, isn't it? Like, there is actually somebody's heart that has a, a spirit to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's one of those one of those situations where it's definitely somebody that you wouldn't have expected. Yeah. You know, that's, that's amazing to come to your rescue. So, well, it's something in that business to be rescued, but it's also something to be spoken about, about trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've just been watching queen of the South. And I think once you're in it, I, I just don't know how you can escape, how you can get out of that whirlwind. You just have to disappear. Yeah. And hope that yeah. because they always seem to be able to find people when they want to. Yeah. I think um, once you've served out your purpose and you have fulfilled your whatever to them. Debt or whatever it is. You don't really matter. So, yeah, because it's on to the next person that they have to worry about. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell to young, what would you say to young people that are given all this glitter to, to move on and do this type of thing? It's not worth it. <laughs> it's not shiny for very long. And the people that it will impact are so much more than just yourself. Recovery is very selfish because you have to focus on yourself, but addiction is not selfish at all. Addiction affects everybody. Everybody that's involved in your life, your friends, your family, yeah. everybody. So, you know, I would, I would definitely ask them to step back and look at, I always ask people, I say, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Because if it's not clean, if it's not sober, if it's not on a positive path, what are you doing here? Right. 
because one of the one of the big things is that people don't get clean unless they want to. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times you tell your child, oh, you're terrible, you're doing the wrong thing, you need to do this, you need to do that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until you decide that you're ready. And when you decide you're ready, then it's a different story. Mm-hmm. I was never big on the 12-step program. I felt like all that made me want to do was do drugs because all they did was sit around and talk about how shitty their life was now that they couldn't do drugs and they couldn't drink. And I was like, oh, this is not helping. <laughs> <laughs> this is all negative. Yeah. So I had to stop doing that and I had to create my own kind of guide. You know, I went from 12 steps to three because you can encompass all 12 in those three steps. You got to own it. You got to fix it. And you got to live it. Mm -hmm. So once you decide, you have to decide for good. Well, addiction's one thing, but trying to get out of the drug dealing, I think, is another story all on its own somehow. Um, are there drug dealers that aren't addicted themselves? Is that possible? The smart ones. <laughs> because they look <laughs> at it as a business mm -hmm. and yep. not a way of a lifestyle. Um, is it true with Queen of the South that, you know, all the drugs are really being transported in, especially Texas is really, really bad. Straight across the border. I don't know. They've, they've found a tunnel from our America, from United States to Canada as well underground. Um, I, I know that a few years ago, but, um, yeah, it's crazy because we have some, the unfortunate part now isn't so much the addictions, it seems like, but the uh, overdoses that's are derived from all of this. Mm -hmm. So how could you sell drugs? Did you ever know that it might have fentanyl in them? Or, I mean, you don't know, do you? No, you don't know. And I never, my drug of choice was meth. And so... You know, I don't even know to this day how you can get a clean batch of meth. It's made out of jet fuel for crying out loud. You know what I mean? It's not, there's nothing clean about it, but, um, yuck, I would, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to not ever run into that problem by the grace of God. I never ran into that problem. Yeah. And thank goodness. I, gotta, I mean, I gotta be totally honest with you. I don't think at the point I really even. I don't think I cared, honestly. So, yeah, because you have to wonder well, how do you get people that are addicted to care? Well, sadly enough, most of the time it takes a tragedy a friend or, yeah. yeah for them to recognize it from for them to see it from the outside looking in i guess yep and the, the drug overdoses right now are astronomical yes because, you know and a lot of it leads into depression and everything <laughs> so um did you ever, other than being kidnapped, were you, I shouldn't say just, <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to be kidnapped ever. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> um, but was there other issues when you were dealing that, you know, put you thinking to yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? <laughs> mm -hmm. I did a, I am not the criminal type. I'll just say that I am, I'm not the criminal type, but I robbed a store and right after that, I was thinking, who are you? What are you doing? You know, this is not who you are. This is not, this is, this is not okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And do you think you robbed it because you wanted the money for the drugs or did you do it because it was something fun to do? 
I think at the time it was just more reckless behavior. It didn't have anything to do with the money. Yeah. Cause it leads to other things, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So did you feel bad after about the store that was the girl that was behind the counter? <laughs> I felt bad enough that I gave myself away. Yeah. Because I because called the I, store and said, I, I called him and said, I heard you got robbed. The lady was like, oh, did you? <laughs> conscience got the best to me on that one. <laughs> you had a big conscience on that one. Um, what do you, what did you think you, um, it's one thing robbing somebody, but did you have instances where you were selling the drugs where it was, you know, life or death or, or was everyone because you look like such a everyday neighborhood girl down the street. Mm -hmm. That's why I got away with it for so long because nobody, ever, yeah. nobody's going to look at me and be like, Oh, you're a dope dealer. So that's why I got away with that for so long because nobody suspected me. And like I said before, a lot of the people that I sold drugs to were very prominent people, judges, attorneys, city council members, you know, people of that nature that didn't want to be exposed. Right. And then, you know, you're everyday. Addicted. People, you know. Yeah. So nobody wants to be mean to the drug dealer because they want their drugs. So is it over basically over 40 people like people over 40 that my the the main people yes but I I probably sold drugs to people from 17 to 60 Yeah and I say 17 cuz I'm giving myself credit but I don't know I really don't know Right So well it's true I mean it's yeah. true Um was it fun? Could you say it was ever fun? The drugs were fun. Yeah. yeah. They were definitely fun for a while. And then once it got past the, the fun point, it was more to stay. It was more of a homeostasis thing. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't for fun. It was just to stay high. It was just to not feel like you had just been hit by a truck. And, right. then, and then that's when it starts tearing down your spirit and your self-confidence and your, you know, that's when it starts. And then it's no fun anymore. Because then it change, starts changing your mind, I guess, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what's it like to go into rehab and have seven different drugs in your system and start trying to wean off of all that stuff? So the detox part for me was pretty rough. I mean, I didn't detox from anything is rough, but I, I spent probably 15 days detoxing. You know, I couldn't really eat. I couldn't really sleep. I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. My face was broken out. I was just a mess. It was gross. Like it was gross for sure. But then after that 15 days, I started to see, you know, a little clearer about where I was at, where I was headed, what I was doing. And then the guilt set in. And then on top of the guilt came the shame. And then it was just a roller coaster of emotions. I bet I cried more in that 30 days than I cried in the first 20 years of my life. Yeah. Because all these feelings were coming out. Yeah. And what was the healing after you left after 30 days and went home? So that's when I really started implementing my, my three steps because they were part of their... Um, suggestion was to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I went to one AA, one NA meeting and some guy tried to sell me Coke in the hallway. And I was like, this is stupid. This is stupid. So 
I never went back to another one and I had to spend, I spent a lot of time by myself. I spent a lot of time focusing on me, focusing on, you know, owning what I had done and fixing what I had done. And then making sure that every day after that, I made at least a small stride to be better, to do better. So. That's a hard mountain to climb. It really is. It really is. Um, coming to terms with the fact that, <clears throat> you know, I have two younger siblings and coming to terms with the fact that the things that I was doing and the position that I had put myself in also put them in a very dangerous position. And I had a really hard time with that. Yeah. I had a really hard time with that. So we used to well, because it, yeah, because it affects your friends and your family members as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because it, it doesn't seem to take much for people to turn on you in that business. Not much at all. And a lot of times it happens and you don't even know why. So you said something, did something, looked at them the wrong way. Yeah. It's a constant guessing game, which is also exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it must be because you, I guess you would just want to just hide somewhere and just under a rock. <laughs> But you can't well, because they know where you're at. They know where your phone is. They know what your phone number is. They know it's you can't. Right. Um, and it's funny how they can find you anywhere. That's what I find so incredibly strange. Because well, they, can find you. they can find you anywhere because they are everywhere. Everywhere. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't even know. I, I was. A military brat and somebody said have you ever smoked drugs or or done anything like that and even alcohol for me was very very strange so um, I, I don't see it I guess if you're not in that world you don't you don't recognize it or don't see it yeah. um, but when you're in it I guess you see it in, in a better clear light of who's who but it's incredibly bad here in the Vancouver, BC area. Um, there are gang shootings almost daily. I, nobody, well, the average public don't, don't know, but now it's becoming not even at night shot of shooting, but it's in the middle of the day at Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting a little more... Uh ballsy for lack of better words yes yes and they can hide so much easier now because you can wear a mask and a hoodie or a hat and pretty soon if you tie your hair up or you know cover up with a jacket how does anybody know who you are yeah you're exactly right you're more exactly so than right. ever mm -hmm. um what kind of with you have three kids now, six, four, and two. I do. What can you do to make sure it this doesn't happen to them for parents out there? I think you have to be open to the fact that it can happen. It can happen to anybody, and you have to be open to that because if you're not, then you are setting yourself up to fail. Because, yeah. you know. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, my kids would never do that. I'm like, oh, bullshit, I sold your kid drugs. You know, so you just have to be open to the fact that it's an option. And you have to be open and talk about it and make it a point to discuss what's going on with them. When I was, when I first started this and I first got into this, my parents didn't know anything about it which is also another reason why I got away with it for so long because my parents didn't, they didn't grow up around that. You know, they weren't, that wasn't their thing. So when they, when they finally figured it out, it was more of a shock at first as opposed to anger. 
because right. they just they just didn't understand. You know, they didn't understand how how I could do that. How I could you know they just didn't understand. And I have learned that people in addiction, a lot of times they start out and nobody knows. Either nobody knows or it's generational and they don't care. Oh, because Uncle Bob did it or Grandpa did it. Mm -hmm. So um, I really think that parents just need to be aware of the fact that it can happen to anybody. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if you go to Starbucks and wear yoga pants or if you sit on the corner and sell newspapers or if you are a cowboy or a lawyer or a football player or a scuba diver. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to be open to the fact that it can happen to anybody. And not, and not even and not even when they're 18 or 20, but also when they're 40. Yeah, absolutely. I know a lady that didn't even do drugs. She was a very staunch Christian and she didn't even do drugs until she was 40 and now she is on the streets. Oh, you know, so it can, I mean, it can happen to anybody at any time. And it really takes you down this deep path of, um, I, I, I can't even explain it because I can't imagine starting and then having it continue. You know, because it's going to go deeper and it, it ruins your career, it ruins your marriage, it ruins your friendships, ruins your family. That's why when people talk about addiction being a disease, <laughs> sorry. That's all right. <laughs> about addiction being a disease or a choice. Um, yeah. I think it's both. I really think it's both um, because, and when I say disease, I don't mean you go to the hospital and they diagnose you with addiction. That's not, that's not what I mean. But yeah. if I were to start over and I was going to go out and start doing drugs today, my addiction would not start where it started 15 years ago. It would start where I'm at today. And it would be way worse for me now than it was then. So it is a disease in the sense that it gets worse as you get older. But it's also a choice because you choose how your addiction feeds your life. You know, you choose. I firmly believe that there is not one single person on this planet that's not addicted to something. Whether it's church, sex, driving, smoking, coffee, drugs, you know, something. Everybody. Fitness. Fitness. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I. it's a choice because you get to choose how your addiction dictates your future. Mm -hmm. But it's also a disease because if you stop and you start again, you don't start back from square one. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's definitely both. And it's so tricky because they get you when it feels good at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, you, you get hooked onto that and you're like, oh, this is great. And then when it's not so great anymore and you can't stop by yourself, then what? Then what do you do? Yeah. And you don't want to tell anybody. No. No, it's your admit it. So then it just continues like a, in a circle. Yeah, absolutely. It takes and probably a lot more strength to tell somebody than it does to continue. Owning it is one of the hardest steps because people admit that they have a problem and they automatically feel weak. Right. And nobody likes to feel weak. So that's what stops a lot of people from facing their problems. Because I don't want to yeah. admit they have any. So. so I guess the secret to parenting is to 
be there supportive and be non-judgmental. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if your kids can't talk to you and they can come to you, then who are they going to go to? Who are they going to talk to? And what's that person going to tell them? All the bad people. Yeah. You know, if you don't tell them, if you don't show them that the world is good, everybody else is going to show them that it's not. And that's scary. Yeah. So. It's actually a joke now that I've gone from a dope dealer to a hope dealer because I, <laughs> I spend so much time talking to people about the fact that you have got to forgive yourself. Because if you don't forgive yourself, you're never going to be fully recovered. Right. So. Guilty yeah, because you can't you can't change what happened. Mm -mm. It's history. Nope. The best piece of advice I got while I was in treatment was the best thing you can do is the next right thing. What's the advice, right thing? Yeah. Well, it's the next thing. You know, just do the next right thing, whatever it is. Just do the right thing. But that constantly is. say that to yourself, I guess, is mm -hmm. when you have when you're put in those predicaments to think to yourself, what's the next right thing to do? Yeah. yeah. That makes it simple. Doesn't it? When you look at it that way, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. It's not as overwhelming. So who are mostly your co your coaching now? What kind of, are they addicted people? Are they either in addiction or recently in recovery? And because you know everything that everything they're going through. Oh, she's you're they, back. They feel great. They're hyped up. They have been clean for 30 days. And then they just get kicked out. And they're like, well, now what? Yeah. So what do you, what do you do now? That's. Oh, I've lost. Relapse. Right. Is because they, they, they don't know. They don't know any better. Either make it or break it. Right. Um, what types of things would you, um, say to get over those feelings when they can't be alone after 30 days, right? You're just going to go back into it. Aren't you? Your support system is what will keep you sober. The people that are around you, the people that you can open up and talk to the people that you can share your feelings with and share your emotions and, you know, cry or throw up or yell or whatever you need to do. That's what will keep you clean. You know, right. if, you, if you don't have a support system, then you have to be that support system for yourself, which is difficult, but you can also do that. It's possible. It's possible. Okay. So just get the support around you to make sure that you're all right for that point. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you remind me of the TV show, Good Girls. Because they, they never seem to get caught either because they're just average average moms. Yeah. That's not their fault that they know how to counterfeit money. No. <laughs> or launder it. Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> and like you said, it's usually uh, about something that happens. And one of the lady, the moms had, um, her daughter was dying. She needed a, I think it was an organ transplant or, or medicine for it. That's what started all of this. She needed the money. Yeah. And the money so, is a big, money's a big draw to it until you figure out that you don't make all that money. Yeah. You only have the money if you're on top of the game. But you can't be on top of the game all the time. No. You cannot. And they probably use it as a drawing card. Sure do. And it is yeah. very appealing. 
Yeah. However they put it, they're good salespeople, aren't they? They really are. They're great salespeople. They should really think about careers in marketing. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. <laughs> yeah, we joke well, about the fact that, you know. Oh, I lost you. On top, if. If you create the product, right? Otherwise, it's just mid-level meth marketing, basically. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But they know so, how to run the business, that's for sure. That's absolutely. amazing. It really is. I, It's eye-opening to... Um, you can't even trust the people in your own group. That was one of my biggest hurdles that I had to overcome was learning to trust people again. Oh yeah. Because, because skeptical of everybody, everybody. I'm like, Oh, but you have an ulterior motive. Yeah. 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 So I had to reevaluate my personal inventory as far as that goes. Yeah, that's for sure. That would, that would be tough. That would def definitely be tough. What kind of um, message would you like to give the listeners today? We're all just walking each other home. So be kind because you don't ever know. You don't know how somebody feels. You don't know how, what somebody's going through. And you have to remember when you see an addict, they're not just an addict. That's somebody's mom or somebody's dad or somebody's son or daughter or granddaughter or, you know, that's, that's somebody, somebody. And everybody needs, everybody needs grace. My, my coaching business is called Guided by Grace because I have been given so much grace. So much grace. So it's one thing that's very important to me is for people to realize that you have to give people grace. You know, you can't expect people to jump and change their entire life because you want them to. Right. So, you know, be kind, be graceful. Be supportive. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think when you're not involved in it, you can't really see that other picture that they're going through. You cannot, not only can you not see it, you don't want to see it. Yeah, that's so. difficult. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for coming out to the show today. I can't believe how, how we were able to fit all of this stuff in. It's incredible, actually. Um, I want to make sure there's a little bit of noise. I don't know where that's coming from. Um, I wanted just to let everybody know that we do need to be kind, especially during this time, and to be prepared for the unexpected because, as you can see, you just don't know to expect. You really, really don't know what to expect. And I want to thank Cassie for coming on our show and being who she is and being brave and courageous to, to talk to the real truths about what all of this is about. Yeah. Thank you. So it was an honor to share. So thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's uh, nice to hear the backstage kind of stuff, right? To, to know what what goes on in that real world i think cassie's going to come back on but thank you my my listeners um danke für zuhören meine deutsche freunde auch um cassie's um internet just kind of went down there for a minute um please give this video a like a thumbs up uh, share it because you never know who it might help who it might um give some information to, and I'm sure her information is down below in the description box. So feel free to reach out with any questions that you might have um, and be prepared for the unexpected. And 
Listen, guys, if you have someone that you're thinking about today um, in your mind right now, reach out to them. Tell them how much you love them, how much you care. And you can never say that enough because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So thank you, everyone. Um, I always end our podcast with our wonderful Carol Burnett. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So, so long, everybody. Thank you for listening to our show today. Thank you, all our listeners. And I'm so happy uh, we have a very special guest actually tomorrow on our live show about um, 20 minutes after death experience. So stay tuned for that one for tomorrow Friday's episode. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Cassie shared some unbelievable tips with all of us today. And I just want to let you know that we're all here for you. Um, and I'm sure Cassie could be very brave if you have any questions for her as well. And her information is down below. So thank you, everybody. Stay safe. Be kind. Stay safe during these times. And looking forward to seeing you, hearing from you guys. And make sure you comment down below. And looking forward to seeing you next. Bye for now.